can't remember the grade I was in, what class I was in, why I even was shown it. Because I went to regular schools. I didn't go to a private Christian school. I didn't go to a private school at all. I was in public education. But someone showed us the silent scream. Maybe I was at a conference, but I really don't think so. And I don't remember who showed it to me, but if you've never watched the silent scream, watch it. Because the minute you see that baby in the womb being aborted, it will change your view forever. And I have to say, um, I still, for a long time, held view that certain abortions were okay. And it wasn't until God spoke to me uh, my sophomore year of high school that that changed. But the silent scream made me pro-life with excuses. And God made me pro-life all the way across the board. No excuses whatsoever. Hello everybody, it is Julie with Hefzibah Talks A Lot and I'm going to tell you, you probably guessed it with the title of this podcast and the fact of what the preamble that I just you just heard said. This is a pro-life abortion podcast. So I'm going to say right now, there's not going to be apologetics here. Um, I'm not, I am very sympathetic to women that have made that decision and are burdened by it. I am not going to be apologizing or downplaying things in this podcast. If you've had an abortion, you probably do not want to listen. Um... I'm just going to tell you that right now because I'm going to, I'm not going to pull any punches and I'm not going to constantly try to soothe you as I do this because I do that because that's, that's the right thing to do is to make sure that I'm not adding to the weight that someone already feels after having an abortion. That is not happening in this podcast and I'm, I'm warning you right now because I don't want to to hurt anybody emotionally with this truth being laid out the way it's going to be laid out. And so I just want to make sure that we are on the same page with this because um, this is something I, I feel very strongly about. And I, I've, I've lightly skidded around and, and talked about it and, and I've, I've, you know, hemmed and hawed a little bit and promised I'd do a an abortion podcast and I never have and um, I've been watching some videos the last few days and I just felt like it was time to address this with a biblical and also a biological view so I'm just letting you know I'm not pulling any punches I'm not soothing any wounds I'm not putting any salve out there I'm not this is not this is just the facts this is just the truth and so uh, take it or leave it um, and there you go. So I've been watching, um, we're just going to launch right in. Um, I've been watching, um, a lot of these pro-life things, um, and on Facebook. And once you start watching a certain video stream, it, it starts to constantly give you those kind of videos. And so I've just, I've gotten sucked into this vortex. 
I used to be very, um, very pro-life on my, my Facebook page. And it's getting back to that. Um, I, I used to be very, I used to stand for a lot of things and I started to pull back from that for multiple reasons. Um, one was I feared, um, what people would think of me. Um, I'm getting away from that. God has made it very clear over the last year and a half that I'm not going to be liked here. And I'm not saying that I'm going to walk around and be this evilly mean person, but I'm not going to be accepted here. I'm just not. This is, this is not my home. This, this is, I'm a pilgrim passing through. I'm a Christian on my way home. And as long as I'm living my life, trying to gain the approval of people here, whether they be Christian or not, um, I'm going to be miserable. And, uh, it was extremely, my life has been extremely painful in the realm of approval, just in general. But when your approval is ripped away and you realize you're not going to receive it from people you admire or people that you think are your friends, um, they just tolerate you. Uh, it, it's really painful. And, uh, I've had a few moments of that. Like, um, I had a, a, a young lady I thought was my best friend and I, I was going to confide something in her and I was, I was building up the courage and I was doing my preamble and right when I was about to say something that no one else knew, um, except for me and God were the only ones that knew. And, uh, I opened my mouth to speak and it's like it was yesterday. And she said, that's what your husband is for. And you got to look at this. I'm, I'm a, a single woman and have been my entire life. She was married. I have, I wasn't dating. I had no prospects. I was a, a few years older than her and I was still single. And that was her response to me. And, <clears throat> and then I had, um, a, a Christian adult woman at church that I really admired. And I was telling her that God, about God's call regarding purity and what it, what it means to be radically pure for Christ. And she's like, well, that works for you. And I looked at her shocked. Like, I'm like, wouldn't you want that for your daughter? Like, wouldn't you want your daughter to reach for that level of purity? But no, it, she was like very annoyed that I would even bring that up, that level of purity to her. And it, it works for you. It's good for you. And that dismissed, I was like, you of all people, I thought would agree with me on this. And apparently I was wrong. And, um, when God finally told me point blank, um, you will never be accepted in this world. And that is exactly how he told me you will never be accepted. So you need to be okay with my acceptance because no one here is going to accept you. And that, and I, I'm not saying I'm not going to have friends. I'm not saying that we don't have mutual respect. I'm not saying I can't go out and have fun with a person. I'm not saying the people that don't accept me are horrible people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just striving for something that's never going to happen. And that's going to constantly make me miserable. I want friends. That's a completely different podcast. But talking about acceptance of who I am and what I believe and what I stand for is not going to happen even in Christian circles. That's hard to hear. Um, but it happened in Japan and I was, I was in Japan with, uh, a couple of friends, um, from here, from China and we were in Japan and I was telling them God's call of purity on my life. Now, granted, I'm talking to a new Christian and a non-Christian, so you can expect the response to be what it was, but I think God had to have it happen because he had to break me from that area. And so I'm telling them what I believe and they just you know, the non-Christian just got so, because she's a very vocal person, just got so 
bothered that she actually told me that I should tattoo on my forehead because I, of what I believe uh, regarding purity before marriage. And, um, and then it became kind of a running joke with her for the rest of my time that I want to marry Jesus Christ, that the person I'm looking for is Jesus Christ. And I mean, essentially that's true because Jesus Christ is perfect. <coughs> Excuse me. So why would I not want a man to, to be like Christ? Seriously. So that's not really an insult to me, but in other words, I'm, I'm very, I'm never going to marry because I'm, I'm very picky and that's a hundred percent true. Uh, my, the call that God has given me to be radically pure, I may be faltering in a lot of areas and I have to learn and grow, but there's no room for compromise there. <laughs> but that leads to me not being accepted. And I can remember, um, it was so hurtful for me. Their, her response like hurt me to my core. And, um, it was probably like a week later um, that God really drove it home. But as, as we were walking up the road and I'm, I'm a little bit behind them and I'm thinking that was like, I was like a punch in the gut to me. Um, that my stance for purity pissed her off to the point that she just like, <laughs> like told me that about getting a tattoo on my forehead. And I don't remember what she said the tattoo should be. Um, but I was walking behind her. That's when God said, you will never be accepted in this world. You will never be accepted. And I, like I said, I'm not talking about not, not having friends or not being liked. That's a completely different podcast. I'm just talking about um, where people will actually applaud you for what you stand for. That's going to come in heaven. God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for standing for purity. Um, God showed me, um, he goes, the reason I put this call on your life is you have the natural inclination to be rebellious. Like you have to go against the grain. You have to, and I'm not, I'm going to use the term devil's advocate, but you have to sit there and think, well, what if I do it this way? Or what if I don't do what you're telling me to do? Um, I, I, I don't say I thumb my nose at authority, but I question authority a lot and not like to their face, but they'll say something and I'll be like, I don't agree with that. Uh, one time a pastor was talking, um, about soulmates and I have a completely different view on soulmates than most of this world does. Um, once again, a podcast for another time. And I was sitting there going, Oh no, God, he doesn't, he doesn't share my view on soulmates. And God was like, you know, that's not a reason to leave the church. You're fine. Just accept the fact that you have different views on soulmates and move on. Um, so that's what I did, but I have a whole blog on, on soulmates because I have a completely different view than people in the world do. In other words, I believe they exist, but there's a whole lot of nuances to the, the belief that you have a soulmate and that God actually has an intended person for you. Um, or not. That's my other side of it or not, but that's a podcast for another time. So I've been watching these videos as I digress because I do, I'm giving you time to, to bail. I was basically explaining to you that I'm not seeking your acceptance here. What this, this podcast is not about getting approval. It's not about, about creating an argument for you to start with me. It's not about that at all. I'm going to tell you what anchor allows you to create podcasts for free. So if you don't like what I have to say, you can just pop right on over to anchor and create a podcast to counterdict me or contradict me, um, and have at it. Uh, but <laughs> this is not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to salve any wounds and I'm not going to applaud any pro-choice stuff. This is a strictly pro-life, uh, podcast. So that's what you're going to hear. If you're pro-choice and you don't want to hear the other side, turn this off now because this is all pro-life. Um, so I've been watching these videos and I've been watching them talk about the pro-life movement. And I, the thing with me is that I have an issue with the body 
not like body image, but like the innards of the body, like disgust me. And I, I could never be a doctor. Let me put it that way. Like just the thought, like when we start talking about things inside the body, ugh, I can't. And so like when I see like, like things that are, that like, like they show like a baby, like, okay, ultrasounds don't gross me out. Don't get me wrong. But I just, I can't, I just can't. I'm not even going to go into detail. Anyway, I, I, the body just whatever. But through that all, I know, like I said, I, I watched, um, I said at the beginning of my little prologue thing, I've watched the silent scream. Um, and I don't even know who showed it to me. Um, it, I was, I was probably maybe in junior high in, in that, that in and of itself, um, made me feel like, oh, abortion is probably wrong. Um, uh, that's one of the, I think that's one of the first videos about an abortion, um, that exists. And I'm sure you can find it online if you look, cause you can find just about anything online. It didn't give me like a full on pro-life stance though, because I was still kind of like, eh, like I still believe that women could choose. I didn't, I mean, I was a teen. I didn't care. I wasn't sexually active. I wasn't going to get pregnant. I didn't, none of that concerned me. Um, of course, um, they say like that the, for evil to triumph, all, all a good person has to do is do nothing. And that's honestly the truth. Um, so with, with the, the, my, a little bit of my background is I was, I was raised Baptist and, um, and I was, I was raised, uh, in a, in a broken home, you know, for lack of a better expression. And essentially, um, my parents divorced when I was very young. And I, I lived with my mom and my mom did the best that she could as a single mother. And we all know that this is goes on and, and life goes on. But if like, we fell away from going to Baptist, going to church. Um, and then eventually we, we started going to another Baptist church and, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I've always believed looking back on my life, I can see it a lot clearer, but I've always, God has held on to me very tight. And what I mean by that is he can stir the fire of my heart very easily. Um, before I even knew what that meant, I was on fire for God. And, uh, and then people were very quick to quell that because they don't want, uh, to be challenged. People don't want to be challenged to change or to question who they are or to question their life. And so they'll, they'll crush anything that makes them feel like they have to question what they're doing or who they are. So, um, upon becoming somewhat pro-life, um, I guess just not full blown pro-choice, uh, probably where a lot of Christians are today, actually, where you, you can, you can say you're pro-life that you, you know, but you still support a person's right to choose, but you're, you're not going to full blown say you're pro-choice, but you're, you're, you are because you can't be a middle road person. You're either pro-choice or you're pro-life. You, there's no in between. Um, I have, I have a few people I've talked to that have told me point blank that they're pro-choice. Um, I've had a, I had a young teenage girl that was having sex outside of marriage and she ended up pregnant and talking to a couple of the other girls in church, she point blank said, yeah, I went and took a morning after pill and it didn't work. So, and like very calm about it. And I was looking at her like, you tried to kill your baby <laughs> to hide your sin. You know, D David killed that she was husband to hide his sin. I mean, I guess you gotta do one or the other. Uh, anyway. Um, but 
that's the generation we have now because the church will not stand for anything. They just refuse because they don't want to hurt feelings. And like I said, I'm, I'm very quick to make sure I'm, I'm kind in any other arena, but for this podcast that cannot be distracted because it takes so long to apologize <laughs> when you're, ta- when you're trying not to hurt feelings, it takes so long. Um, so I didn't become pro-life until, and I, I mean, it's, God is just, <laughs> he's got a sense of humor. So I was in freshman English. I'm just going to, I'm going to toot my own horn for a minute, but in freshman English, my mom, when I enrolled in, in Santa Fe high school, um, in 1994, uh, I enrolled in, and my mom's like, you need to take English honors. And I'm like, I'm not taking an advanced English mom. I'm not going to do that. So uh, I took regular English and, uh, oh my gosh, I don't know how you people do it, but, um, it was about midway through the first, uh, term and I'm sitting in class. My teacher loved me because I was advanced and I'm, you know, I'm skating through this class and I'm sitting there and she's like, she hands out these papers and we're like a month and a half into school, maybe two months in ninth grade and she hands out papers and she's like, today we're going to put the correct punctuation at the end of a sentence. And I just, I just shot my hand in the air. The minute she finished speaking, I just shot my hand in the air and she's like, yes. And I said, can I go to the, can I go to the counselor and see about changing to English honors, please? There was no way I was going to sit in this class and put punctuation at the end of a sentence, something I learned in elementary school and refined in junior high. You know what I'm saying? Not going to happen. Just saying. So, um, I transferred into English honors and that first year was horrible because the teacher didn't even think of pulling my grade over. So my first, uh, grade for the first grade rollout was very low. And then when later when I'm like, why didn't you move my, she's like, I didn't even think of that. So public schools people, I tell you (laughs) anyway. Um, but the next year they started this thing where they were going to have like these blocks of time. So we were in English honors and we were going to follow the same group of people were going to go all through the rest of the next three years together. And they'd be in these block classes that first included English and then, and government economics. And then like they started, they threw in music and art. So they started, they tried to make it very good. Um, so in my sophomore year, they, the teacher decided that we would do an introduction. Uh, so what we had to do was we had to pick a word to describe our family. Uh, we had to pick five uh, words to describe ourselves or we had to say five things about ourselves. I don't remember. There were five, there was a word to describe your family and then two things of five. I don't even know. I had a really good friend. Her name was Andrea Dayloff. And, and if anyone listens to this and knows who she is, or if she listens to this, please get in touch with me because I'm trying to track her down anyway. Um, so she was an amazing friend. Uh, she was an atheist but she was the most supportive friend I've had that hasn't been a Christian in my entire life. Um, and so she stuck with me through a whole crap load of stuff. So she's an amazing person. Um, but I just remember it was so funny. I'm, I had written this most, Oh, it was five things you don't like, right? Five things you don't like and five things you like or something like that. So I had written this really dorky list. Like I don't like peas. I don't like, you know, whatever. I don't even remember. It was such a vapid, vapid list. And I was coming from my dad's house on the bus and I'm, I'm on the bus almost to school. And I could hear God say, 
uh, yeah, that's not going to fly. This is what you're going to write. And this is going to piss you all off. But two of the things he told me to write was, I don't like abortion. I don't like homosexuality. Okay. Remember, I'm in 10th grade. I could have found a way better way to word some of this stuff. And I was a new, newer Christian. I had, I had just recently been saved. Um, it was either a year before or I had literally just recently rededicated my life to Christ. I don't know. But anyway, moving on. So God challenged me to, to do this thing. And, um, and when it came to me, okay, so what you would do is you'd stand up in front of the class and you'd read off these things. And then the teacher would be like, do we have any questions? And then people like would raise their hands and they'd be like, why do you like cheese? Whatever, you know? <laughs> so it, came, it was my turn. I can remember this like it was yesterday. So I stand up there and I read off this list and I look up at the group and I, I meet Andrea's eyes across the, across the room and she's just staring at me because <laughs> she knew what I was going to say. She already knew me. Um, and the teacher asks if there's any questions. The room is like dead silent. Okay. And uh, she asked if there are any questions and then Every single hand, I'm not kidding, kid, people, every single hand in the room went up except for Andrea's. Every single one. And she just dropped her head to the desk. She was like... <laughs> so I spent the whole time talking about abortion and homosexuality, and the teacher was the one that had to end it. Now, I didn't have the wisdom. I didn't have nothing. I was, I was not armed at all for that. God just threw me out there. You know, he just said, okay, here we go. You're jumping in and then we'll work on the rest. So for the next three years of high school, these people knew I was a Christian. So everything I did was measured against that. I believe God just gave me a crash course in living the life because was I perfect? Definitely not. I was definitely learning during that time frame. But what it was, was at that moment on the Santa Fe Trails bus on my way to my sophomore English class, God dealt with me about the two reasons that I would have, I had gotten to the place that I would have permitted abortion. I was always saying I was pro-life except in the acts of rape and incest. So the thing, the reason I don't talk about health of the mother is because that is the smallest percentage ever, but so is rape and incest, literally. And my stance changed on rape and incest because God point blank said, so who are you killing in the act of rape and incest? And the point is I was killing an innocent person and that is wrong. Abortion is murder. End of story. So I'm not a I'm not big on science. Science and math are my worst subjects ever. Yet another reason I would not be a doctor. And the the thing is, like they were talking about that, like zygote, uh, fetus, uh, embryo, all of that are stages of development. So for people to say a fetus is not a human being is a lie. It's a stage of of development. So talking about that's why they don't say fetus anymore. That's why they say a clump of cells or they say it's just tissue. That's why they don't use zygote, fetus, embryo, any of that, because those are stages of development. Scientifically in biology, they are stages of development of life. And so they go, you go through that. Then after a baby is born, you have a baby, you have the newborn, and then you have a toddler, and then you have a child, and then you have an adolescent, and then you have a teen, and then you have a young adult, and then you have an adult. And then you have a middle ager and then you have a geriatric. So you go through all of these stages of life. So to say that a fetus is not human is a lie. So um, I've been watching these videos and I cannot, first of all, how knowledgeable these people are. 
because this is their passion. To be a voice for the unborn is their passion. Um, so they're, they're just so, and I could be that knowledgeable because I do have a passion for it. Um, I'm just lazy. I'm just going to, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm lazy. Um, but they have this passion and this drive to educate people about what abortion really is, to educate them about the liberal lies that are out there. Um, and then to hopefully make abortion illegal. And I mean, that's ultimately the goal. Um, because abortion would then be unnecessary, right? Because uh, if you have an abortion legal for medical reasons, that is your there's your that eliminates your the sake of the mother argument, okay? Um, rape and incest seriously, most people that have been raped um, or are victims of incest, most of them carry the child to term and either give it up for adoption or raise it and love it, and it's because it's not the child's fault, and they get that, they get that. Um, but we'll talk about that later. What I, I admired the most though, out of all these videos I've been watching and sharing on my Facebook page is the fact that they're so calm. So like the, the people coming against them are, are so agitated and worked up and they're just like, blah. And most of them cannot come up with a sound, logical argument. Most, I'm, I'm going to say all of them cannot because they're so emotionally eager to defend what they believe that they're not, they can't, they can't defend it. You can't defend murder. Once you start eliminating these secondhand reasons that don't even make up 98% of abortions are not rape or incest or health issues. 98% are convenience abortions. And what's really interesting is if I had it with me, I would read it to you, but I had a, I took a disability class for my degree in social work and there was this, this piece and it blew my mind because this piece was all about not doing selective abortion for, uh, babies with disabilities. And I am 100% behind that. Eugenics is evil. And so they're, they're running through this whole list about how valuable these, these babies are 100% agree. Um, that they have, they could have a really good life. You can't judge quality of life just because you hear they're going to have a disability. 100% agree. Um, they're, they're putting all this justifiable stuff, but then like in the double minded liberalism mind of insanity, they defend being pro-choice, but you're like, but you're right here. You're fighting it because you're point blank saying that it's evil to kill a disabled child because they're disabled, but you're defending the right to kill a child because they're an inconvenience. What? I, I need to find that article, but I'm not going back to America for a while. So that, that probably will surface in a podcast a year and a half from now. But just so you know, that does exist. It's in a disabilities book I used at Eastern New Mexico for my... And that article or that essay, if I could remember the author or anything, I would look it up and try to find it online. But it is so double-minded. Uh, the book of James tells us that we can have faith and ask God for something. However, by that same token, we cannot assume that we're not going to get an answer or be double-minded in our answer response or, or desire because then we won't get an answer. And I, that, per, that article was so double, it was weird. It was just weird. The fact that they could logically lay out the truth about how we should not be killing babies with disabilities 
but then flip and say, but you can kill them if, if you don't have the money to, to raise them, or you can kill them if there's a possibility they'll be neglected, or you can, you can abort them, I'm saying, sorry, you can abort them if, if they're, they're inconvenient, or they're going to cost you too much money, or your career is going to come first, or your boyfriend leaves you, or you're, you just don't want a baby, or you wanted to have sex, but neither of you had protection, whatever, you know, um, <laughs> so crazy it's so crazy how how people can just be fixated on the desire to kill children it's it blows my mind um okay so um i wrote some notes so i'm going to be talking about that i do not believe abortion in abortion being a need or as it stands as a form of birth control because that's what it is right now as much as people want to say it isn't it is they're like oh crap uh my birth control failed or i just didn't use it or i you know whatever um and so that's what they've they've done. They just don't care. Uh, so they'd rather do this harsh thing to their body than than you know carry a baby to term. Um, and and so God created us after His image. So Genesis one eleven twenty four and twenty eight. Um, uh, to kill a baby in the womb is to kill a human being because if if God. If, if life begins at conception, which I firmly believe it does, and conception is the minute the sperm and the egg meet, um, then that's a human being that God has designed with unique DNA, and we're killing a human being. And and one of the things that, that people don't really want to think about is what we've killed. Billions of babies have been murdered, and I can pretty much guarantee that... Um, I can pretty much guarantee uh, that the the cure for cancer, the cure for AIDS, uh, our next Mozart, our next Beethoven, uh, our next great screenwriter, our next great actor and actress, uh, ballet dancer, Nobel Prize winner, all of that was just wiped out of existence. And consider how many generations are killed because you kill one baby and think, hey, I killed a baby. But, you know, that man, that man or woman could have grown up and had three kids. And then from them, they could have had seven kids. And then from them, they could have had 32. And then from there, I mean, you wiped out a whole line of people. And, and I mean, even if you don't want to think about the greatness, because will some of them become criminals? Yes. I mean, law of averages, right? Um, but think about, like, how many friendless people there are in this world. Like, like I said, I don't have any friends. Like... That's a different podcast for a different time, but how, you know, how many of these aborted babies would have been my friend? How many of them would have been the smile that that one person, a step away from suicide needed that support, that phone call, that alcoholic needed not to pick up that beer again. Like we, it's a wonderful life is a, is a perfect example. You watch that movie and it is the perfect example of how he thought he didn't matter. And you looked at the little things he did. The little things that just changed everybody's life for the better. And because they changed that life, it changed this life. And because it changed this life, it changed that life. And the ripple effect, and we've killed off how many ripple effects that could have changed the course of so many lives. Some of them for bad, yes. But countless for good. Countless for, for good. And that's what abortion does. It just kills the good. Um. So... Rape and incest abortions are a very small percentile, and uh, it is still murder regardless. It's killing an innocent person for the crime of another, meeting violence with violence. So consider also that the post-traumatic stress 
from the initial violent act of rape or the acts of incest and then to follow it up with an abortion, which is another violent act against her body because it's invasive. It goes inside the womb and rips life out of your womb. And then, of course, the, the, that would increase the post-traumatic stress greatly and add to the emotional issues that they're gonna, this woman will face as she goes through her life um, trying to overcome this um, initial attack. And so we're just adding to the, the pain that this, this woman feels physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually and every other way. So I'm going to be quoting a lot from gotquestions.org and I'm also going to read an article from there. Um, so gotquestions.org says, Murder of the innocent does not erase the devastation caused by evil. So right there, like I said, violence, that's like, like they said, fighting fire with fire just makes a bigger fire. Like you don't... You know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't work. So answering violence with violence doesn't work. Uh, to save the life of the mother is also an extremely low percentage of abortions. So personal preference is the primary reason. Hundreds of thousands of babies are murdered every year. And 98% of those are because of personal preference. So we, we know that every life has value and worth. And we see that in Psalms 139. And sometimes, or majority of times, women who have abortions have moments of remembrance, considering like, oh, the baby would have been three this year, he would have been 15 this year, and then wondering like, I wonder what it would have been like to have, have a son or daughter. I wonder what the child would be like right now. I wonder what they would have liked to have done. Um, it's really interesting when you, you talk to certain people. So... When Obama was running for president, I was in college and I had to do um, speeches and uh, I was in public speaking and I aced that class, friends. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> so really good at it. Um, but uh, we had to do a persuasion speech. We had to be persuasive. And I did mine on abortion and I did mine on abortion Telling you, I was going to tell people not to vote for Obama. Um, but in the end, I just told them, you know what? Look at every presidential candidate and make the decision. Vote pro-life was essentially my message, persuasive. Um, at the time, I had a, a cold. I was, very, I was sick. But I also got very emotional because I read a couple testimonies about abortions. And uh, I started crying on one of them. So the class was able to give feedback. And, uh, um, one of the, uh, when I went and sat down, one of the guys that, uh, was my friend, he, he said, I would have gone to hug you, but you're sick. I'm like, it's fine. Um, so all of my feedback was really positive except for the person that got, that was pro-choice and their card was very clipped and cold. And the, the part that I remember is that they said that my crying made me lack credibility and I'm like, uh, you could say my crying made it hard to understand me, or you could say that the crying, um, these were all anonymous, by the way, uh, that my crying um, made it so that the, the speech wasn't persuasive to you, because that was the whole point. It was supposed to be persuasive. 
But to say that it made it lack credibility was totally BS because the fact that I was crying proved that I cared about this topic. Um, so I, I found that that was like, to me, was like, oh, I, I totally, what it was, was I totally was persuading this person about the value of life and they were completely bothered by it to the point that they had to attack me in some way. Um, so, uh, my point with don't vote for Obama, by the way, was because President Bush had initiated the partial birth abortion ban. And one of the first things Obama promised to do was lift that. And that is one of the first things he did. Um, I don't respect President Obama. I know he did a lot of good things in office that people really um, admire for him for. I don't think, I don't look at him like this horrible person. I'm not, I don't hate the guy. Um, and, and I, I gave him the respect that the office deserves something that people aren't, I didn't vote for Trump. I feel like I always have to preface it with that Trump. I did not vote for him. Um, I will not vote for him. I can see why God put him in office. I totally get it. Uh, I'm not a fan, but I still give him the respect that the office deserves. Although you will notice I say Obama and I say Trump. I don't say president Obama. I don't even know if I said President Bush, but I might have because I have more respect for him than I do for these last few presidents. But the, I digress. The first act was for him to remove the partial birth abortion ban. And the, the thing for me is that when you talk to a person about what partial birth abortion is, and you're going to hear this later in, uh, uh, in one of the sound clips I have on here, but um, what partial birth abortion is is that you basically, this baby is almost to term. This baby could survive outside the womb. Let me put it that way. This is a viable life. This is a baby. And essentially what they do is they uh, have the baby partially born, which is why it's called partial birth. The baby has not turned. The baby has not turned into a position where its head is at the, at the cervix. Uh, and I'm surprised that word came to my brain, but it did. <laughs> to to go into the birth canal and be born. So the baby has not turned yet. And so um, he's butt first, leg first, legs first, whatever. So they basically have the woman go through labor. They induce labor and um, the baby is partially born. And, uh, and while the head is still in the birth canal, in the, in the, near the cervix and all that, they basically stick something up there jam it into this baby's skull, suck the brains out, crush the skull, and pull out the baby. And when I told somebody what partial birth... I'm laughing because of their... It's in the name, okay? When I told them what partial birth was, they're like, you're lying. You're lying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you have no concept what President Obama just made legal again. And it's still legal, um, unfortunately. Because people don't think about it. They don't want to think about it. But partial birth abortion is evil. All abortion, I think, is evil. Um, but partial birth is exceptionally evil. I tried to find a soundbite from a woman that I heard speak um, or watched a video. I don't remember. My memory isn't that great. Where she talked about how she was totally pro-choice. 100% across the board. She was a nurse. And she was going to make her daughter have an abortion if her daughter ever got pregnant outside of marriage. 
she was going to make her daughter have an abortion. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And that happens. Coerced abortions, forced abortions, they happen. Don't delude yourself. And she would have made her daughter have an abortion. But what happened was she witnessed a partial birth abortion because she was a nurse and she had to assist. And she said that all she could remember was she's staring at this dead baby and she's staring at the brains. I know this is graphic, but it's graphic. It's murder. And uh, she's in her brain thinking that if there was, she's thinking in her head, if there's some way I can get these brains back into this baby's head, he'll live. And that's when she became pro-life because she fully understood what was happening, how evil it is. It's evil. So human life begins at conception. And uh, gotquestions.org says, Society continually seeks to devalue the lives of the unborn, creating its own definitions of humanity based on distorted views of morality. But the undeniable fact is that life begins at creation and a human at creation and a human is created as soon as he or she is conceived. God is present at our creation. He is, in fact, our creator. Our value as human beings created in his image is conceived even before we are. That means that, as Jeremiah says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. That's what that's referring to. So, um... I'm unapologetically pro-life. And uh, my roommate and I had a discussion about this. Um, I don't know if we did a face uh, blog on it. I don't know if we did. But I know that we've had a couple discussions. Like, we had a discussion about, like, separation of church and state, which was actually to protect the church, not the government. But we won't get into that here. Um, then we have uh, we had a discussion about abortion. And, and at the time, she was like, do you think abortion should be reversed? And I, I actually said, no, I think that we should just, there should be options. We need to do more counseling, more information. We need to get get the facts out there more, more so than we need to uh, make it illegal. But I, I firmly believe now uh, we need to make it illegal. It's not going to make an increase in, in like back alley abortions like people think. It's not going to cause this huge, huge thing. Um, and, and like the only reason there would be any illegal abortions happening is because it is illegal. Um, but if you change the rhetoric and you, you understand fully what abortion is and then, and then it becomes illegal, then, you know, we would have better education right now. Our education system isn't good enough for us to make it illegal because all, all the liberal education is telling people that it's not life and they choose because it's their body, but it isn't their body. It's the body inside them. It's a separate life, separate DNA, separate everything. That's why a mom can have AIDS, HIV or AIDS, and give birth to a child that does not have HIV or AIDS. It's a proven fact. A child born to an, an HIV positive parent, mother, is not going to have necessarily AIDS. Uh, is not going to have it unless something happens during the birth. Okay. They don't get it from the mother because they're a completely separate life inside the mother. Uh, okay. So, um, all right. So, um, if you go to aidsinfo.nih.gov and look at the, uh, fact sheets about preventing mother to child transmission of HIV after birth, um, 
it, it talks about how for four to six weeks after birth, babies born to women with HIV receive an HIV medicine, and it prevents or protects the babies from infection with any HIV that passed from mother to child during childbirth. Um, so it says that they're, they're also tested uh, at 14 to 21 days of life, one to two months, and four to six months to make sure that they haven't caught it. It says that it can spread through breast milk. Um, so that, that's really why they keep testing the babies after birth. So as I've said, I'm not a doctor. So trying to do all the stuff to figure it out, but, um, they obviously the process of the birth is what can transmit, uh, the, the HIV virus to the baby, but at, in a normal pregnancy where there's no da no issues inside the, the womb, um, nothing happens that causes the, the mother's blood to mix with the child's, um, what, anything while they're in the womb. And then of course during birth, same thing. Um, they said that sometimes they, they want to, to do a C-section for it. Um, and they have to take the HIV meds during pregnancy and after, as I, I just said. Um, but as a rule, the baby is its own person. And so HIV, it, just because someone's an HIV positive mother, it doesn't mean that um, the baby's going to have HIV. It's an, an extenuating circumstance if the baby's going to end up having HIV from an HIV positive mother, which tells you it's not your body. It's a completely separate body. Um, so, uh, is it possible to be Christian and pro-choice at the same time? This is from gotquestions.org. And this is a, the, uh, article I want to read really quickly. This is going to be a long podcast. Um, just because it is. Uh, after this, I'm going to have some sound bites and then I'll wrap it up and we'll be done. So, um, the answer, this is all from gotquestions.org. So it's, um, www.gotquestions.org backslash Christian hyphen pro hyphen choice dot HTML. If you want to look it up. Um, all right. So abortion has been a hotly debated topic in American culture for the past 40 years. Proponents on both sides wave statistics and viewpoints that many sincerely believe to be the only right way. For the sake of clarity, let's define the terms pro-choice and pro-life. For the purposes of this article, pro-choice will be defined as the belief that a woman should have the legal right to abort her unborn child at any point in the pregnancy. Pro-choice advocates believe abortion is a personal decision and should not be limited to the, by the government or anyone else. Pro-life will be defined as the belief that every human life is sacred and no one, including the mother, has the right to end an innocent life. Pro-life advocates hold the view that life from the moment of conception should be protected. So should a Christian be pro-life, pro-choice or pro-life? I apologize, I read that wrong. So should a Christian be pro-choice or pro-life? A Christian, according to the Bible, is someone who has accepted God's offer of forgiveness through Jesus' death and resurrection. Salvation is a gift from, of God through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. John three sixteen through eighteen, Ephesians two eight through nine, Acts sixteen thirty one, and Romans ten nine. What we believe 
about other things is a matter of growth, not of salvation. However, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. When we give our lives to Christ, he begins to change us. Our way of thinking and our way of behaving, see Isaiah 55.7. Our bodies become the temple of, of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19. Our minds are renewed through the truth of God's word, Romans 12, 1-2. Our attitudes, perspectives, and behaviors gradually change to be more like those of Christ, Romans 8:29 and Galatians 5:22. This transformation doesn't happen overnight. Many Christians are still what the Apostle Paul called carnal, 1 Corinthians 3, 1-3, and Romans 8, 6. Carnal Christians trust in Christ, in Jesus, for salvation, but they still think, act, and react like the world. Often, they are new to the faith or simply have not allowed the Holy Spirit free access to every area of their hearts. They are trying to live the Christian life in their own strength, while still being heavily influenced by the world's way of thinking. The carnal mind has not been fully renewed by the Word of God and still seeks compromise with the world, James 4.4. 4. Carnal Christians allow the persuasive viewpoints of the ungodly to sway their opinions on many things, including abortion. Spiritual growth requires us to shed our old ways of thinking as we become more like Christ. We begin to see things the way God does, and the closer to Him we become, the less we agree with the world system. Psalm 1, 1-2 If a person continually refuses to allow the Word of God to transform his thinking, chances are great that he is not really a Christian. Romans eight fourteen. Pro-choice advocates state that the Bible does not address abortion, so the decision should be the individual's. While it is true that the term abortion does not appear in the Bible, the principles about the value of life are there. In Exodus 21, verses 22-23, God wrote into his law protection for the unborn. If a pregnant woman was injured, causing her to lose her child, then the one who caused the injury was to be executed, a life for a life. The phrase, a life for a life, says a lot. God considers the life of the unborn just as valuable as that of a grown man. God said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. Jeremiah 1.5 It was God who created him for a specific purpose. Psalm 139 verses 13-16 through 16 gives us the clearest picture of God's viewpoint on the unborn. David writes, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, before one of them came to be. The Bible is clear that all human life is created by God for His purpose and His pleasure, Colossians 1.16, and a Christian who truly wants to know the heart of God must align his or her viewpoint with God's. When we start justifying evil according to our understanding, we dilute the truth of God's word. When we rename adultery an affair, homosexuality an alternative lifestyle, and murder of the unborn a choice, we are headed for serious trouble. We cannot redefine what it means to follow Christ. Jesus said we must first deny ourselves, Matthew 16:24 and Luke 9:23. Part of denying ourselves is letting go of comfortable lies that the world has fed us. We have to let go of our own understanding and allow God to change us. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Some pro-choice advocates argue that they are not pro-abortion. They say they hate abortion but support a woman's right to choose. 
This makes as much sense as saying that you personally hate rape, but support a man's right to commit it. The rhetoric sounds nice. The mention of choice makes it more appealing. But underneath is a direct conflict with God's viewpoint in Scripture. Pro-choice advocates often state that their position is compassionate and that pro-lifers don't care about the woman or her child. This argument is a red herring. Whether pro-lifers care or not is irrelevant. Just as it is irrelevant whether those opposed to robbery care about the banks being robbed, robbery is against God's moral law, so is abortion, and that's the issue. The Bible is clear. Since God is a creator of human life, only he can determine who lives or dies, and every person who claims the name of Christ has the obligation to make certain his or her views line up with his word. Is it possible for a born-again Christian to be pro-choice? Yes. It is likely that such a person will is it likely that such a person will remain pro-choice not if he or she is allowing God's word to transform and renew his or her mind Romans 12:2 All right so that was that article from gotquestions.org and um I, there was a lot there, so I just hope you listen to it. If you want to read it, like I said, you can go to www.gotquestions.org backslash Christian hyphen pro hyphen choice dot html. And like I said earlier, there are Christians that say they're pro-choice, and there are Christians that have had abortions. And I sat across from a, a woman who said, quite deadpan with no emotion, that that was the best decision she made was to kill her unborn child. And once again... Um, or not once again, because you haven't listened to the sound bites, but, um, if your heart is that seared off, if your conscience is that cut, you need to ask yourself why, especially if you're a Christian, especially if you're a Christian. So there's a few things. Um, there's a, a, a clip by Ben Shapiro. There's a, a clip by, um, the woman that was Jane Roe in the case of Roe v. Wade. Um, there's, that's not her real name, so, <laughs> um, and then there's uh, a clip from a, a former Planned Parenthood, uh, person, um, there's a clip about Norma McCreevy, who's, who was Jane Roe, um, and then, and she passed away in 2017, and then there's a, a clip from a, an abortion doctor, an ex-abortion doctor, and that's the, that's the big one, that's the one at the end, so, um, there you go. So we're just going to go ahead and launch into these these clips. All right. So this is uh, Ben Shapiro, and this is on YouTube. And the name of the video is Ben Shapiro Destroys the Abortion Argument. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and play that now. Now this one, uh, this is the thing I really hate. Here's Olivia Wilde, who's the actress most famous from being in-house. Uh, and, uh, and here she is talking about why she is in favor of abortion. This is one of the more disgusting videos I've ever seen. This election cycle, I'm thinking a lot about reproductive rights. Everyone's right to plan when they want to have a family. And it's on my mind because I'm literally about to have a baby, like in a minute, to be able to decide exactly how. Okay, so she says that she's thinking about reproductive rights one minute from having a baby. This is about as perverse a notion as I could possibly imagine. That as you're about to have your child, you're thinking, boy, wouldn't it be great if I could still kill this thing? It's really imperative that I be able to, to still kill this thing. Now, here I am. Look how pregnant I am. There's a baby in here. This is my beautiful child. And I was thinking, 
maybe I should just kill it. You know, maybe, it's really important that women be able to kill it anytime they please. She continues along these lines, not, of course, understanding really what she's saying on a moral level. How and when and why and where I want to have a baby. And I believe that is a basic human right. I care about reproductive rights. What do you care about? If you care about your future, okay. vote for it. Okay, what I care about is not killing babies. And let me, let me, um, th this is going to be mildly graphic, but this is important because I'm sick of the euphemisms, okay? It's not aborting a fetus. It's not getting rid of a ball of tissues, uh, a ball of tissue. Okay, this is, this, what I'm about to show you right now is a picture of a baby, okay? This is a baby that was, that was, it was a, it was a picture of a baby uh, that was aborted by Kermit Gosnell, okay? This is the, the Gosnell was, it was somebody who was not covered by the media uh, in any way, shape, or form. He was the most prolific serial killer probably in American history, and this was a baby girl uh, uh, aborted by, aborted by Kermit Gosnell, uh, and he, and the only question was whether it was legal for him to kill this baby or not. And the only question there was how old was the baby and was the abortion done inside the womb or outside the womb? Okay, so the, this baby, I believe, was after the 24-week cutoff, but not by much. So this this baby is, uh, uh, let's see how, how old this baby is. This is uh, a case where, uh, where they, an abortion went awry. She went to a hospital, and the baby ended up dying at the hospital. By 24 weeks, most babies born prematurely will survive. This is a, a late-term abortion, okay? This, this, this is what her baby looks like in the womb. We can see that picture again. That's what that baby looks like. This is a less graphic picture of what an abortion looks like, okay? more graphic picture of what abortion looks like involves the snipping off of the, uh, the crushing of the skull, the sucking out of the brains. It involves, and, and these are fully formed children. These are fully formed children. I have two beautiful children. The idea that you get to murder a kid, Okay, no one has a right to choose that picture. Go back to the other one. No one has a right to choose this. No one. No one has a right to choose this. You don't have a right to choose this, okay? That's a baby. You don't get to kill it just because it's convenient to you. You don't have a right to say, I, it's my decision where and when and how to have the baby. That's an individual human being. And if that baby were outside the womb and you stuck a knife through its chest, you'd be charged with first-degree murder. You kill it in the womb, and we call it a human right. That's not a human right because that's a human, and that human doesn't have any rights because you just decided its rights are less important than your right to your own convenience despicable despicable and so i want to uh, we're now going to play a game with the left let's play let's play a little game with the left the game goes like this okay show the other image the, the game goes like this at which point should you be able to kill this baby okay we're going to play a game called when should you be able to kill this baby because i've been told by people like hillary clinton that you're able to kill this baby all the way up to the very end right 32 to 30 weeks Right, and that's when the baby is fully formed. It can be born alive. It is a fully formed human being. I've watched two of them come out of my wife. These are human beings. These are not balls of tissue. These are not clusters of cells. And I'm sick of being told that it's just an abortion. I don't like the euphemisms. It's not a termination of a pregnancy. It's a termination of a human life. Okay, it's a murder of a human being when you're talking about these babies and, and this idea that you get to choose that. Look, you got to choose a lot of things in life. You don't get to choose another human being's death. That's not something you get to choose. So when is it okay to kill this? When is it okay to kill this? Is it okay to kill this thing at week 14 when the heart is pumping several quarts of blood through the body every day? How about week 15 when the baby has an adult's taste buds? How about month four when the bone marrow is beginning to form? How about that? Or how about, the, how about weeks nine and ten when the baby's teeth are already beginning to form? Its fingernails are already beginning to develop. We're talking about two months old, right? The baby can turn the head and frown. The baby can hiccup. Is that okay to kill? How about week four? By the end of the week four... The, the kid is already 10,000 times larger than the fertilized eggs was. There's already the beginnings of eyes and legs and hands. There are already brain waves detectable. Mouth and lips are present. Fingernails are forming. 
How about week three? By the end of the third week, the kid's backbone and spinal column and nervous system are forming. The liver and kidneys and intestines are beginning to take shape. How about day 22? The heart's already beating with the child's blood, which may be of a different blood type than the mother. So where in here exactly do you think it's okay to murder that kid because you have a personal convenience issue? Where do you think that you're right? And I love, I love the glowing way she presents this. Here I am. I can't be a bad woman because I'm pregnant. I can't hate babies. I mean, here I am. I'm pregnant. Well, if you don't hate babies or if, you, if you're not interested in killing them, then why are you in favor of people being allowed to kill them? Because it's not a matter of a woman's right to choose. A slave owner didn't get to choose to hold slaves. Nazis didn't get to decide which Jews got to live. And don't give me the it's legal, therefore it's okay. Lots of things were legal. Lots of things in human history have been legal that were totally evil. It is evil to suggest, as Hillary Clinton does, that the minute before a baby is born, you should be able to drag it by the feet out of the mother, except for the head, stick a scissors in there, ram it into the baby's skull, rip the skull open, suck the brains out, crushing it, and then pull it out. That's Hillary, that, that Hillary believes that that's something you should be allowed to do. When I talk about stuff I hate, this is a grave sin. It's a blot on the American Republic. It's a blot on the morality of the American people that we allow, that we treat the killing of unborn, the, the most, literally the most innocent among us, literally the most innocent among us. We, we treat the killing of, of these human beings as nothing more than just an issue of, of, of convenience and, and choice and, and all the rest of it. It's just no more euphemisms, no more euphemisms. And I wish to God that Mike Pence would have said that instead of citing to the Bible, okay? I haven't cited the Bible one time because I don't think that the Bible, I think the Bible is right, but I don't think the Bible is the important textbook here. I think what's important here is the science. And I think you're talking about the creation of a unique human life on day one, and you can see it, and you can see the growth, and if you're willing to point out to me where it is that this becomes a human as opposed to a ball of tissue, then let's hear it. Let's hear it. I've gotten tweets, by the way. I tweeted this out earlier, and somebody said, well, the brainwaves only start at week 20. So how about that? You know, do you think that people who are brain dead are alive? Well, people who are brain dead don't turn into not brain dead for three weeks later. Would you kill somebody in a coma because they're brain dead, but you know they're not going to be brain dead in four weeks, and ten weeks? Would you do that? Would you, would you pull the plug on them knowing for a full-on full, full on fact that if you just wait a few weeks, that person's going to be fully functional again? Would you do that? And it's just, it's, it's, it's truly incredible to me the, the way that we can blind ourselves to this. I remember when I was at the, I was at the 2012 DNC, and, uh, and I, I went to, you know, it was in Charlotte, and I walked past an exhibit. And it was a picture, it was, it was the, the anti-abortion crowd, the pro-life crowd. And they were out there with, with these pictures of aborted babies. And I walked past and I thought what most people from big cities thought. I thought, wow, how gauche. How gauche. I mean, those are ugly pictures. Should I really have to look at that in the public square? That's really ugly. And then I realized that that's probably how people treated pictures of slavery back in the 1850s. That's probably how people treated pictures of the Holocaust back in the 1940s. The bottom line is if it's that ugly, maybe you should do something about it instead of whining about how ugly it is. And it's not a matter of personal choice. Okay, I have a stake in whether my neighbor gets murdered. And I have a stake in whether my neighbor's baby gets murdered too. So as I said, uh, Jane Roe, or Norma McCorvey, um, is pro-life. And she's definitely, um, she carries the weight of the, the Roe v. Wade decision because she was in a place where they were able to use her in order to push the abortion agenda. Uh, so this is a video from, or this is a sound from a video on YouTube. Uh, Norma um, Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade speaks about being pro-life. Most of you won't recognize me or my real name. It's Norma McCorvey. I'm also known as Jane Roe, the plaintiff in the Supreme Court case. 
Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion in America and changed our nation in an unprecedented way. Back in 1973, I was a very confused 21-year-old with one child and facing an unplanned pregnancy. At the time, I fought to obtain a legal abortion, but the truth be told, I have three daughters and have never had an abortion. However, upon knowing God, I realized that my case, which legalized abortion on demand, was the biggest mistake of my life. You see, abortion has eliminated 50 million innocent babies in the U.S. alone since 1973. Abortion scars an untold number of post-abortive mothers, fathers, and families, too. You read about me in history books, but now I'm dedicated to spreading the truth about preserving the dignity of all human life, from natural conception to natural death. All right, so continuing the Roe v. Wade uh, discussion, this is um, Remembering Norma McCorvey. This is about 30 seconds in. So this is the news broadcaster whose name is Mark, and uh, they're basically just giving um, information about who Jane Roe was uh, and what she stood for um, from when she realized what Roe v. Wade had caused up until her death in 2017. Why, in 1973, the decision that legalized abortion took place here. It's not something that Norma McCorvey was proud of. In a statement, her family said, quote, Though she was the Jane Roe of Roe versus Wade, she worked hard for the day when that decision would be reversed. In 1969, Norma McCorvey was 22 years old. Unmarried, unemployed, and pregnant with her third child, she began to hear about abortion. I really didn't even know what the word abortion meant. I, I had to go and ask uh, a friend, and she spelled it for me and, and told me to look it up in the dictionary. I, I still didn't understand it. Abortion was illegal in Texas, except to save a mother's life. In her book, I Am Roe, Norma says an adoption attorney put her in touch with Sarah Weddington, a Texas lawyer who was seeking to represent a woman to challenge the state's abortion law. The two met over lunch. She got taken advantage of uh, over a, a pizza lunch, basically, to sign some papers, and um, and she didn't think anything of it. I mean, she went on to then have the baby. Sarah Weddington couldn't help her in, in that short of time and uh, place the baby for adoption. So she was definitely taken advantage of. Janet Morana, executive director of Priest for Life, became friends with Norma in the mid-'90s. She says the woman known as Roe found out about the 1973 Supreme Court decision in a Dallas newspaper. By that time, she had already given birth to her third child, a daughter, and gave her up for adoption. Norma McCorvey never had an abortion, but her court case legalized abortions across the country. We forgive you in Jesus' name. In 1995, Norma was baptized a Christian and made the switch from abortion advocate to pro-life fighter. We are here to proclaim that Jane Roe is dead! And Norma McCarvey lived in Jesus' name. In 1998, she was confirmed into the Catholic faith, telling the Associated Press that year, I don't believe in abortion even in an extreme situation. If the woman is impregnated by a rapist, it's still a child. You're not to act as your own God. In 2005, the Supreme Court rejected McCarvey's challenge to the Roe v. Wade ruling, but Morana says Norma would hope the pro-life movement can one day reverse the decision. Just the way she was taken advantage of, she feels like the abortion industry continues to exploit women. And she would like to see the, ex the stop the killing of the children and stop the exploitation of women, I think. 
Norma McCorvey formed her own group, Row No More Ministry, in 1997. She traveled across the country speaking out against abortions. McCorvey died on Saturday of heart failure. She was in an assisted living center outside of Houston. McCorvey was 69 years old. Wyatt, Mark Irons reporting from outside the Supreme Court. Thanks, Mark. All right, so this is a sound bite from um, also YouTube, obviously. Uh, the name of the video, former Planned Parenthood director, Why I'm Now Pro-Life. This is from um, 2017, so um, here we go. Well, thousands of abortion opponents from around the world descended on Washington, D.C. today for the March for Life, and they enjoyed unprecedented support from the new administration. Vice President Pence became the first vice president in American history to address the march in person, while counselor to the president, Kellyanne Conway, spoke as well. President Trump expresses his support, where else, on Twitter. We're joined today by one of the marchers. Abby Johnson was once director of a Planned Parenthood clinic in Bryan, Texas. After a moral crisis, she quit, and now she campaigns against what she once endorsed. Abby, thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So i got to be honest with you, I never thought of President Trump as, you know, a huge pro-lifer, an evangelical, social conservative, and yet, amazingly, they've been more supportive of this march than any Republican president I'm aware of. I mean, there's been never been a vice president address one of these, Kellyanne Conway. I mean, it, are you surprised by this support? You know, I am a little surprised, but I'm feeling very hopeful for the future, for the pro-life movement. And I, I you know, I'm going to be honest, I was a skeptic. And, uh, you know, he's, he's beginning to prove me wrong here. So I'm glad for that. What, what, do, you what do you make of it? I think that uh, the pro-life movement helped to elect Donald Trump. Yes. And so I think that uh, this is one way that he can express his gratitude to the pro-life movement for putting him in that position and for supporting him throughout his election. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy he's doing it. It's interesting because in places like Washington and New York and Los Angeles, the single most embarrassing thing you can say, the surest way to be ostracized socially is to say you oppose legal abortion. People hate that. And Trump doesn't seem to care. Well, he doesn't seem to care about most things. I guess that's a good point. <laughs> so I think he just calls it like he sees it. And, uh, you know, as someone who experienced a conversion on the issue of abortion, I uh, I believe that sometimes people who, who do convert to the pro-life movement really have a strong voice because they've seen the damage that the abortion right. industry can do, and now they can really speak about the life issue. So President uh, Trump has pledged repeatedly on the campaign trail anyway to defund Planned Parenthood, which takes hundreds of millions of dollars from taxpayers every year. You worked at Planned Parenthood for a while. The obvious question is, do you think the people at Planned Parenthood have any kind of moral qualm about abortion at all, or do they see it just as another medical procedure? I think they see it just as another medical procedure, but I think that it is it is really the cost center surrounding Planned Parenthood and the services they provide. I mean, they that is their, their highest revenue-generating product that they sell. They implement abortion quotas in all of their clinics. What do you mean quotas? You have to perform a certain number of abortions every month. Um, one of the reasons that I left... Are they explicit about that? Yes. It's, it's in your budget, right there on the line item. Uh, one of the reasons I left Planned Parenthood was because... Uh, in a budget meeting, I was told to double that abortion quota. And for me, as someone who had spoken to the media and had said, you know, we're about reducing the number of abortions, we're about, you right. know, prevention, all of these other services, I was shocked. So since this. you actually worked at a Planned Parenthood, give us some sense of the relative number of abortions versus the number of mammograms versus the amount of prenatal care offered. So... Okay. Abortions, Planned Parenthood provides over 330,000 abortions a year. They right. are the largest 
single abortion provider in our country. Um, they provide not one mammogram. Uh, there's not one Planned Parenthood clinic across the country that has a licensed mammogram machine or is a licensed mammogram facility, even though Cecile Richards and Joy Behar and many other people said that they do perform mammograms, they eventually had to come out and say that they don't. Planned Parenthood is not a provider of prenatal care. There are a few affiliates that may give out some prenatal vitamins. They might see you one time if you're pregnant, but there are no Planned Parenthood that, act, Planned Parenthood that actually deliver children. Um, the bulk of their services are contraceptive services yes. and abortion. Interesting. So that talk about being a health care provider, providing the whole spectrum of reproductive-related health care services, it's really about contraception and abortion. Sure. Well, and listen to this. We just found out recently there are at least two Planned Parenthood abortion or Planned Parenthood facilities in the country, one in Madison, Wisconsin, one in Overland Park, Kansas. They are abortion-providing only five days a week, 40 hours a week, abortion all day, every day. Yes. Pretty hard to take. Abby, thanks a lot for joining us. Appreciate Thank you so it. much. All right, so this soundbite um, is from an uh, ex-abortion doctor um, who tells the shocking truth about abortion, and it's from C-SPAN. Um, so it's not like the other sources weren't reliable, but people will discredit things because it's Fox News or whatever, but this is C-SPAN. This investigation of Planned Parenthood is based on false premises, one after another after another. It's time to stop wasting time, get on with meaningful work, and stop picking on women and trying to take their choice away. I yield back the balance of my time. The time of the gentleman has expired. We welcome our distinguished witnesses today. Do you and each of you swear that the testimony that you are about to give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And I'll now begin by introducing today's witnesses. The first witness is Dr. Anthony Levitino. Dr. Levitino is a board-certified obstetrician gynecologist. Over the course of his career, Dr. Levitino has practiced obstetrics and gynecology in both private and university settings, including as an associate professor of OBGYN at the Albany Medical College. And Dr. Levitino, we'll begin with you. Welcome. Thank you, Chairman and members of the committee. Um, I only have five minutes, so I'm going to get right to it. Second trimester D&E abortions perform between roughly 14 and 24 weeks of gestation. Your patient today is 17 years old. She's 22 weeks pregnant. Her baby is the length of your hand plus a couple of inches. And she's been feeling her baby kick for the last several weeks. But she's asleep on an operating room table. You walk into that operating room scrubbed and gowned and after removing laminaria, you introduce a suction catheter into the uterus. This is a 14 French suction catheter. If she were 12 weeks pregnant or less, basically the width of your hand is smaller, you could basically do the entire procedure with this. But babies this big don't fit through catheters this size. After suctioning the amniotic fluid out from around the baby, you introduce an instrument called the sofa clamp. It's about 13 inches long. It's made of stainless steel. The business end of this clamp is about two and a half inches long and a half inch wide. There are rows of sharp teeth. This is a grasping instrument. When it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. A DNA procedure is a blind abortion, so picture yourself introducing this and grabbing anything you can blindly and pull, and I do mean hard, and out pops a leg about that big, which you put down on the table next to you. Reach in again, pull again, pull out an arm about the same length, which you put down on the table next to you, and use this instrument again and again to tear out the spine, the intestines, the heart and lungs. Head in the baby that size is about the size of a large plum, 
can't see it, but you pretty good idea you got it if you've got your instrument around something and your fingers are spread about as far as they go. You know you did it right if you crush down on the instrument and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you could pull out skull pieces. And you have a day like I had a lot of time, sometimes a little face comes back and stares back at you. Congratulations, you just successfully performed a second trimester Dini abortion. You just affirmed her right to choose. One more question, Dr. Levitino. Why did you end your practice of doing abortions? I did over 1,200 abortions over a four-year period in private practice, not counting the ones that I did during my training. Um, I met my wife at, um, during my first year of training at Albany Medical Center. We got married about a year later and found that we had an infertility problem. After years of failed infertility treatment and several years trying to adopt a child, we were blessed with a, adopting a, a little girl that we named Heather in August of 1978. Um, as sometimes happens in those situations, my wife got pregnant the very next month, and we had two children 10 months apart. Um, two months short of my daughter Heather's sixth birthday, she was killed in an auto accident and literally died in her arms in the back of an ambulance. Anyone who has children might think they have some idea of what that feels like, but unless you've been through it yourself, you have no idea whatsoever. Um, I know people find it hard to believe, but uh, what do you do after disaster? You bury your child and then you go back to your life. And I don't remember exactly how long it was after my daughter died that I showed up at Albany Medical Center OR number nine to perform my first second trimester DNA abortion. I wasn't thinking of it as anything special. This was routine to me. Um, but I reached in, literally pulled out an arm or leg and got sick. You know, earlier on, I described stacking up body parts on the side of the table. It's not to, you know, gross people out, to use a simple term. When you do an, an abortion, you need to keep inventory. You have to make sure you get two arms and two legs and all the pieces. If you don't, your patient's going to come back infected, bleeding, or dead. Um, so I soldiered on and finished that abortion. And I know it sounds, as I said, hard for people to believe, but I'm, I'm telling you straight up my experience. You know, after over 1,200 abortions, first and second trimester up to 24 weeks and all the rest of it, and being very dedicated to it, for the first time in my life, I really looked. I really looked at that pile of body parts on the side of the table, and I didn't see her wonderful right to choose, and I didn't see all the money I just made. All I could see was somebody's son or daughter. And I stopped doing late-term abortions after that, and several months later stopped doing all abortions. Thank you. So, um, unlike the other videos, I just have to add a comment here. Like, I literally, uh, for the Ben Shapiro video, um, I looked away from the aborted baby image. And it was not even a graphic one, like, like we're used to seeing, um, when people want to really, um, show you a graphic image. It was a dead baby, um. All his limbs were intact. All her limbs were intact. Um, but 
So I looked away, but then I, I forced myself to look at it because I was like, you know what? It, abortion is really hard for me, as you would hear in this podcast. This one, literally, even though he was in a public hearing forum, was showing the, the two tools. He only showed the two, the forceps and the, and the tube. I literally had to close my eyes and I, I wept listening to that abortion description. And if you heard that description and didn't feel anything, I, I don't know. I don't know what has seared your heart so much so that you didn't feel anything. I'm, I've never been a mother. I've never been pregnant. I don't have that connection of having carried a child. Um, I, I think babies are a beautiful gift from God and I didn't always believe that. And I can't relate to babies. So when I want to work with kids, I want to work with older kids, but I don't discredit the value and the beauty of a baby. And, and I, I still, I wept with that description and I just, I just have to challenge you at the end of that video. If, if you didn't feel anything or if you felt something and you squashed it, you need to, you need to check yourself because to feel nothing, you could be pro-choice and still feel something. So if you didn't feel anything, that's dangerous. If it didn't. If you, if you felt a twinge and you fought it off, that's liberalism. But if you felt nothing, that's evil. Because that was a life ripped apart. And, and I'm not even going to talk about it because I'll start crying again. But I'm just telling you, like, if your conscience and your heart is so seared, so reprobate that you didn't feel a single thing with that description, I challenge you to... Ask yourself why and take a look at what desensitized you and what has made you so cold that that did not affect you. Hello everybody, it's Julie with Hefsaba Talks A Lot. I'm just going to take one second, okay, maybe a little longer, to talk to you about writing.com. Now, I'm not doing this for any money or anything. I'm just letting you know about a great supportive community that I think it would be great for you to join. Writing.com has been around for a long time. They actually started out as stories.com and I stumbled on them when I was a lot younger and joined and eventually they got too big for that domain and became writing.com in order to encompass more than just storytelling. This website is amazing. It is a community of writers and readers. So if you're not a writer but you love to read, join writing.com. If you don't really read a lot because you're so busy but you love to write, join writing.com. If you're a little bit of both, joinwriting.com. It's an amazing community. Now you can get a free account and then they have paid memberships. I currently just do the second tier, the upgraded membership, and it allows me to have more items in my portfolio. I love to pay to have a membership because I love to support writing.com. That's the main reason that I pay 
to keep my membership updated and current. But I just wanted to have an advertisement about writing.com. Once again, not for any monetary gain. It's not even an official one. Uh, They won't even know I'm doing it. But I just want to encourage people to go and join writing.com. It is truly a place that has helped me develop as a writer. It has helped me be encouraged. And I have met people there that have been my friends through the distance online and have supported me and offered me advice with my writing and has been, have been there with me or for me as I've made these transitions to China and other locations. So once again, writing.com, W-R-I-T-I-N-G.com. Join today.